Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And another multimedia extravaganza, as per. We're on Facebook, and we're on video webcast, and we're also on podcast. We are indeed. And Facebook Livers, hello again. Hiya. And welcome. And uh, special little news for the Facebook Livers, really, is... Um, you know, when you've got a title called What Doctors Don't Tell You, you're going to get a few bricks thrown your way, especially from men in white coats, which isn't really surprising, I suppose. And it's happened um, a few times in our history, and it happened again quite recently. And they're sort of quite keen to get us out of the stores, as they always are. And, um, and I think it's just worth saying a couple of things about it, if I may. The first is... Despite the title, we're not really anti-doctor. We're anti the tools that they use, and I think which are rather limited in, in what they can do. And that they, you know, their, their medical professions should be allowing them to look at alternatives to, to drugs. And um, you know, we feel very strongly about this. And there's the other thing is that um all our work is based upon good, solid research that's carried out at the most august universities and centres such as Stanford and Yale and Harvard and Cambridge. You know, and they're discovering the stuff that doctors are not practising because they're probably not allowed to. And this is really what, what doctors is about, is that gap between what is being researched and is being proven at uh, prestigious centres and that which is being practised by doctors on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, really, what we're looking at and we're critical of is the fact that medicine has really been hijacked by the pharmaceutical indus industry and other major interests. The pharmaceutical industry is, without a doubt, one of the most corrupt industries in the world, and it is hijacked medical, uh, medical schools, it's hijacked uh, giant organizations like the National Health Service in the UK, and it certainly has hijacked the doctors. And so, as Brian says, it's not the carpenter, it's his tools that we're really going for. And we're actually using the tools of modern medicine in terms of the randomized double-blind placebo effect trial um, to examine medicine. We look at the medical literature. And essentially, if something is wanting in medicine, it's coming from their own sources, and that's what we're reporting. So all we're doing is making what is usually a private conversation public. Mm. But the other thing to talk about is there are so many alternatives out there that not only are effective, but have been proven to work. And we're also reporting on that too. It's probably worthwhile saying that the complaints that are heard or that are vocalized are from a few tiny individuals, a small group of skeptics who in the main have not read what we do, don't understand what we do, and are just simply against alternative medicine. Certainly when we've looked on social media at the so-called doctors against us, they are people who, without a doubt, because they admit it, have not read the magazine, haven't looked at it. Many, many thousands of doctors are on our subscriber list because they are part of the new movement interested in alternative and integrative medicine. 
So we're not speaking to the old guard, we're speaking to the new guard, and that includes the public too, who know that the tools of modern medicine are failing them, and they're looking for better alternatives, and that's where we come in. Yeah, and a few fun facts to throw in there. Um, In the UK, um, we spend about £110 billion a year. Uh, On healthcare, I think in the US it's £3 trillion, rather, $3 trillion. And um, another fun fact is that um, in the UK, and I think it's the same in the US, doctors get incentivized to prescribe drugs. And quite recently, a research team took a look at this and saying, well, that would suggest people are getting better or um, are living longer. But actually, the drugs are having zero effect. Uh, They're not living any longer. And we know from hospital admission rates that they are still ending up in hospital. So the drugs are ineffective. But the effect seems to be on the drug company's bottom line, which is prospering very nicely. And doctors are getting incentivized as well to prescribe these drugs. Yeah, And it's just plain wrong. And, you know, when you look at the fact that medicine is the third major cause of death in the West after heart disease and cancer, you know, I really do feel it's about time that, as grown-ups, we all had a public discussion about this. Rather than just trying to ban us, why not have a debate about this and open up medicine and allow doctors to be true healers, which I believe they always wanted to be. And they're not allowed to be because their medical authorities make damn sure they don't and that they just prescribe the drugs. Any doctor who steps outside of that healing paradigm um, is, we are disconnected, is, um, is banned. And, and I think that's the, oops, sorry, we lost connection with Facebook Live there for a moment, but never mind, we shall carry on. So, but we're just saying that there really does need to be a public debate about this. And the point is really that people are voting with their feet you know, is really exciting to recognize that the wellness industry is now three times the size of the pharmaceutical industry. People recognize that those tools of modern medicine, of conventional medicine, don't really work for chronic illnesses. So they're looking for alternatives. And because this stuff isn't really reported in the general press very much for many, many reasons, including vested interests, again, that's where we fill in the gap. So if you love us, Go ahead and write to Whole Foods and tell them how much they you love us. Um, tell your local supermarket where you buy us that you love us. And just let's keep this conversation going. Mm. And if you are a doctor, how about buying a copy, reading it, rather than just trying to ban us? And um, let's try and move this debate on. I mean, it's in everyone's interest that we do so. So, look, thank you, Facebook Livers. We'll say au revoir. Until next time, we'll carry on with our podcast. Bye-bye. Okay, Lyme disease, a massive problem, underreported, underdiagnosed, and usually undertreated. Um, but there is something people can do, or rather, there's something people need to know. And that's if you are a type A blood person, you really do need to cover up. Because apparently the ticks do get attracted more to type A blood than any other type. Um, They did a test in laboratories using the different uh, blood types and found that the ticks were 36% more attracted to type A than they were to type B. 
So, you know, it's something to bear in mind if you know your blood type and you like a walk in the woods um, that you do have to cover up. And I think um, it's bad news for you, Lynn. This is not good news if I wanted to go out for a walk in the woods today because no. I'm a type A. Um, but I think this is a really important message anyway for Lyme tick, mm. which is, you know, the Lyme tick disease is mm. now becoming epidemic yeah. uh, all across North America, but also is now coming to the UK too. And I think for all of us, when we go out to walk in the woods, mm. it makes really good sense to do all of those good things like wear socks, wear long trousers, and just know that it's out there now. Mm. It's a mm. factor of modern living yeah. and, yeah. Uh, you know, and a risk now. Yeah, I mean, it's mainly areas where, where deer live or have lived, or where, you know, man has sort of burgeoned in on the deer population and has established parks or what have you. I mean, it's these areas particularly are, are, are rife with the ticks, and one has to be very careful. I mean, I think there is a period of time where you can actually untwist the tick from mm -hmm. your skin where it, you, you may well uh, prevent have, getting the, the problem. Uh, but an early sign often, it's not always the case, but very often there's a, a little bullseye-type circular mark on your skin, which suggests that you have been bitten, and you can still counterclockwise unscrew the tick at that point, and you may well um, not get Lyme disease if you do it quickly enough. But I think what after about a week or so, it usually has entered the bloodstream, and it's very difficult then to treat. And uh, you know, typical symptoms include fever, headache, fatigue, and weakness. But as I say, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that's not being properly reported. It's not a problem that's been, you know, properly taken seriously enough by mm. medicine. I think the only thing they have is is very high dose antibiotic treatment, long term too. Yeah, but but otherwise they don't really have any answers. And and another problem is getting the diagnosis because the the blood tests for the for Lyme disease are, are so poor and inaccurate but anyway so bear all that in mind folks type a people especially yes. beware and also if you do have Lyme disease do know in what doctors don't tell you in the past we've covered both people who have recovered from Lyme disease um, and also doctors who treat it so it's not a hopeless case modern medicine doesn't know how to treat it but a lot of alternative practitioners are doing well with it. So it's worth investigating. And of course, treating as early as you can. You know, I feel sorry for people who you know, read the media, watch the media, what you will, because I think probably on a sort of daily basis almost, there's contradictory evidence, advice, what you will, about should you drink alcohol, shouldn't you drink alcohol, and there was a recent example of this, which wasn't alcohol this time, but it was about fish oils. And that one study said, well, fish oils don't do anything at all for heart health. Two days later, an even bigger study said, yes, they do. And you think, well, what's going on here? And um, it's easy enough to blame the journalists, which I think a lot of scientists like to do. But the truth of the matter is, you know, science is a bit of a game, really. And the, the scientists like to get the publicity, 
like to get notice, and they often issue press releases, because no one reads the actual science papers. They all read the press release goes with it. And, and often the researchers themselves do rather stretch the truth a little bit in order to get the headlines, which they so desperately want. But it causes confusion, and it makes people very puzzled as to what is best health advice. And this particular example, there was... Um, the study, as I say, was about fish oil supplements. And a lot of people do take them for heart health and believe it helps to protect the heart. But according to this study by the Cochrane Group, which is normally a very reliable source, said that they actually had very little effect at all on preventing cardiovascular disease and coronary heart death and, and you name it. And... Um, it was quite a big study, and they looked at about uh, 112,000 people. But then two days later, lo and behold, an even bigger study, 421,000 people. So, yes, they do. It, the supplements do help, and in particular, eating the fish itself helps dramatically to uh, protect against heart disease. But they do say, well, but do boil or steam the fish to get the most... Uh, benefit from it. So, I mean, what do you make about all that, Lynn? That you get all this contradictory advice all the time. Well, most of the time when um, medical researchers look at supplements, they make all kinds of mistakes compared to the people who are using it out there in the field, like um, actual patients or the integrative or functional medicine um, practitioners or naturopaths who are actually uh, prescribing it. Usually, the amounts they offer are way too low. We've seen that with all of the antioxidants. When they've tried to test vitamin C and vitamin E <clears throat> for preventing heart disease or, or um, uh, even preventing or curing the common cold, they always give way too little. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case here, too. The other thing they don't look at is... <clears throat> the synergistic effect of fish oils and a good diet. Mm. You know, if they're just eating burgers and fries and taking fish oils, well, mm. hey, that isn't going to have a lot of, uh, mm. make a lot of difference. So it has to be part of a holistic diet and then really compare like for like. So that's usually the case with it. But <clears throat> as you say, I mean, what there are loads and loads and loads of studies on the benefits of fish oils. It's not any big surprise anymore. There are loads and loads of other studies of the heart-healthy effects of fish oils. So it's practically not, you know, a controversial anymore. And I will tend to distrust all of those kinds of studies for all of those reasons, because mm. they are a stacked deck, usually put together in order to debunk natural medicine. Mm. And, yeah, I think it's true. Researchers don't sort of get vitamins, vitamins, do they? They they, they seek out the lowest possible doses. <clears throat> they seek out them, you know, the worst uh, ex quality ones. They're, they're not going for high quality. They're not going for the therapeutic dose no. and products, which actually do make a difference. Um, so it isn't really that surprising. They're not necessarily getting the results. And I think what is also interesting that, in contrast, this second study, which came out of China, where possibly the inroads of the Western diet haven't quite impacted quite in the same way there. So maybe, again, they're having a healthier diet in the first place. So the, this is helping. And, of course, and as I say, they are also looking at the eating of fish 
and not just the supplements, which they say is important as well. Yeah, I mean, like any kind of supplement, it's not quite as good as the real thing. Mm. I mean, supplements are there because we just can't get the right amount of nutrients from modern food. It's been, you know, the soil has been so adulterated that it's really difficult to get the full nutrients for any kind of vegetables or fruits anymore. And the same really goes with meat and, and fish. We have a lot of issues with fish. So we take supplements, but nothing can compare to the real thing. And as they're showing, when, you know, when just looking at fish oils as part of a diet coming from fish, they're also finding big protective effects. So yes, most of those studies are done with pharmaceutical-like drugs. You know, they think of a vitamin as something like a drug. So they think low dose and cheap, you know, and cheap and usually synthetic. And that makes a big difference too, the difference between a natural form of the supplement and a synthetic form really can't be compared. So I guess our message is really take these kinds of studies with a huge grain of salt, maybe more than a grain, like a pound of salt, because they are usually done in order to demonstrate the stuff doesn't work. I suppose it's quite naive these days to assume that everything on our shelves is safe and someone's checked it for its safety and its goodness. And, um, you know, so much are in the, in the deli counter, such as processed meats and bacon, is stacked full of nitrates. And they've done a study into this and found that nitrates are triggering bouts of mania and hyperactivity in healthy people who otherwise are healthy. And looking at it the other way around, they found that people who do have a history of psychiatric problems are three times more likely to regularly eat meat, such as ham, salami, sausages, and bacon. So I think this is quite an interesting problem. Um, they reckon that what's happening is the nitrates are altering the gut bacteria that in turn influences problems like bipolar symptoms, mood swings, and mania. And, um, and interestingly, again, looking on the other side of that, they found that people who do have bipolar are less likely to suffer from an attack if they're also taking probiotics, which are again restoring the good gut bacteria, which of course the nitrates are taking away. Um, the, the researchers who were uh, the John, Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine said that it was the um, processed or cured meats were the one food type that kept cropping up when they, they analyzed the diets of bipolar patients. And they reckon that bipolar sufferers are three times more likely to regularly eat these processed meats than a non-sufferer. And so they're saying this could even open up a whole new realm of therapy and ways to treat these supposed psychiatric problems by looking at the gut and the gut bacteria and, again, the foods that we're eating that is destroying this. So interesting, once again, that we come back to the gut and the, the relationship between the gut and so-called mental illness. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this a lot with other kinds of, of mental illness, like depression, you know, that it oftentimes has a gut dysbiosis, as they call it. This is also really interesting when you look at 
you know, the explosion of ADHD and think about what kids are eating most of the time. They're eating, you know, they're eating hot dogs, they're eating sausages, they're eating bacon, they're having all of this, you know, ham, they're having all this processed stuff. And, and, you know, it's only the nutritional um, organic farms who are at the vanguard of creating meats like this that aren't that don't contain nitrates. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of these meats as long as it's you know organic meat, um, organic sausages. It's the chemicals they put in as preservatives that are causing major major problems, and it's also not the only preservative we're he- hearing about with huge problems. There's also you know the pesticide issue, um, Roundup, which is finding its way. To, through all kinds of foods because it's sprayed on seeds before they even grow into plants in the U.S. And that is also causing all manner of illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, here's a really interesting thing is once again, you know, with mental Ill, so-called mental illness, mm-hmm. look to the outside aggravating factor first before deciding this has all got its root in the individual. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the insult that person is taking, eating, being exposed to, and ask that first? Yeah, and I think the fact that there is this gut connection really, again, draws a straight line to the food that we're eating and how important that is in all aspects of our health and well-being. I mean, the researchers do add, look, don't stop having the occasional hot dog or the bacon sandwich if that's what you want, but... It's the cumulative effect of these things, which for people who are eating them almost on a daily basis, where they're seeing the problem start occurring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you do suffer from any of those issues like bipolar or mood disorders, or you have a child with ADHD, or you suffer from that yourself, take this stuff out of your diet and see what happens. You know, doctors love the sci-fi of some of the modern screening tests that are available. And I think just about their favorite, because it is by far the most impressive, is the CT scan, because it produces this extraordinary 3D image of your body. And everyone stands back and admires it and says, my God, isn't that clever? And of course, it is clever. But the trouble is with it, because you're exposing the patient to such high levels of radiation, that a new research study has discovered that in fact it quadruples, 400%, quadruples the chance of developing brain cancer as a result. And um, again, I suppose it's down to how many times you get a CT scan. You have one, you may well get away with it. But, you know, people very often the doctors like to prescribe endless numbers of scans. And this is where probably the cumulative effect again starts to starts to play out um and of course it doesn't just happen you know when you have loads of them mm. they found in this one study um that even people who had one or more mm. so just starting with one um their risk of cancer brain cancer was 1.5 times higher yeah than mm. anticipated yeah. so this is the the problem here, Brian, is that people underappreciate, yeah. once again, the dangers of radiation and the fact that it's cumulative. Yeah, and it's very interesting. That study looked at children who'd had the CT scan. 
and um, you know they they have small bodies and they can't their bodies can't cope with that level of radiation in the way that a, a fully grown adult can. So another reason why you have to tread so carefully with these tests, especially when children are involved. Yeah, I mean, just think of can of radiation and cancer um, of all kinds of varieties occurring because of the cumulative effect of the stuff. Mm. Now, dentists are really fond of now saying that, you know, uh, there's radiation. It's so safe now. It's it, There's more radiation if you go up in an airplane. Mm. And they've got new gadgets that are much more focused, etc. But then just ask them next time, so if it's so safe, why are you diving outside the room as mm. soon as you're pressing the button? Mm. You know, if it's so safe, why aren't you exposed to it too? Mm. But the point is, if you get a set of those and you get some more and you get some more and then you get a, you know, a lung x-ray and then you get a CT scan, you're suddenly really accumulating all of this radiation. Mm. So it's really important to limit it and ask a lot of questions before you are um, before your doctor persuades you to take one of these tests, mm. how necessary is it? Mm. So I'm going to be like the dentist, and I'm going to dive out of the door. But thanks, everyone, for joining us again. I'm Brian Hubbard, and look forward to talking with you again soon. And I'm Lynn McTaggart, and please keep reading our latest issue. Have a look at it. Thanks. <laughs>